this week's show, we chat to Neve Buffini. Neve is the Performance Operations Manager for Paralympics Ireland, as well as being the highest ranked female in Taekwondo in the country. We talked about our current role and what goes into delivering in a high performance environment. We had an in-depth chat on the development of culture and how you build it from the ground up, as well as talking about the complexities of coaching individuals over a team. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Neve, thanks a million for coming on. Um, you're currently the Performance Operations Manager for Paralympics Ireland, and I am very aware that you're the highest ranking, one of the highest ranking Taekwondo experts in the country, so I'm going to choose my words very carefully here. Um, no, but it's great to have you on. Um, your role is really, really interesting, so I'd love to hear from you maybe what it exactly entails. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, so currently my role in Paralympics Ireland is performance and operations manager. So essentially it's kind of two strands to the role. Um, on one side, the performance side is uh, performance management around sports science and medical coordination uh, for carded Paralympic athletes. Um, Paralympics Ireland cu- currently governs two sports, um, para-athletics and para-swimming. Um, and we offer some uh, additional support to paracycling and then some support to other athletes that we would deem as performance athletes on the pathway to potentially qualify for the Paralympic Games. So a lot of that support, um, some in some cases it's financial, in most cases it's it's, it's kind of operational support um, in terms of, you know, physio, uh, S&C, um, nutrition, psych support for those athletes. And uh, the requirement kind of from our side in terms of who would be deemed as eligible to receive that support would come into our performance planning process which is managed on a year-to-year basis Um, so that's kind of the the performance management side of it we work quite a lot with uh, the service provision provided to us from the Institute of Sport Sport Ireland Institute Um, and that we do have some of our own service provision outside of the the Sport Island Institute building, let's say. So some of our support comes from um, colleagues of ours that we recruit, let's say. So we pay them externally. Um, around the operational piece, um, it is quite interlinked with the performance. However, it's it's quite separated at the same time. So the operations of the Paralympic Games is essentially what I manage in tandem with when the chef de mission comes along and is recruited for the Games itself. It's kind of a, an every four-year gig I suppose the Paralympic Games is dovetails on the back of the Olympic Games uh, and the operations has to be managed on a year to year basis as well on the lead up to the Games so essentially you're kind of starting every four years from a clean slate depending on where the next Games will be uh, so this time around obviously it's in Tokyo um, and we're in full flow now of, of that cycle around preparations around accommodation pre-Games camp freight uh, logistics everything around that so I, I essentially manage that until the chef de mission comes in situ they take it over and then I offer my kind of assistance around that piece um, so there's many moving parts to the to the role it's a very intricate role um, again there's a lot of moving parts so it can get very complex at times uh, thoroughly enjoy it it challenges me in, on one side but um I really, really enjoy the role on the other side. So it's, it's it's actually something that I strived to to work at as a performance manager. And then the operations was kind of dovetailed on the back of that role when I first started. When I first started, actually, was 2016, 11 weeks out from the Paralympic Games. Um, so it was a... Shown in at the deep end. E- baptism of fire, <laughs> you'd call it. Uh, and I learned very quickly how to stand on my own two feet in terms of having to get to know and understand para sport, number one. Um 
and the complexities around classifications of, of para sport and uh, the bigger moving parts around operations for such a game a games of that that size really I suppose it's a it's a it's a big build up it's 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 similar to other sports in that there's so many moving parts but it's dissimilar in that I don't manage the bigger events on a year to year basis it's just managed around that one Paralympic games event so if you get it wrong it's all on you um so in terms of you know you'd see the likes of the IRFU would have many major events throughout the year now we do but those sports would have their own managers involved in the operational side of it so my role is is really geared towards on the lead up to the games and at the games itself then is uh its own bubble in itself um which yeah it's a lot of fun I really enjoy it um it's as I said it challenges me at times um but I think what I've learned through my own athletic career and my own coaching career has kind of led me into this management piece, if you like. Um, and I've applied a lot of my learnings through my coaching career into the management piece of it. So you basically would have, let's say, two sides of the coin. One, dealing with the athletes and getting them to be able to perform to the best of their ability through facilitation and whatever their needs may be. And then the other side is actually the actual logistics of getting everything ready so that when they're there they can actually perform yes exactly okay. so it's creating the best possible environment and performance uh profile if you like of the athlete and uh their experience in the pre-games camp um really you know the athletes should be able to come in for that pre-games camp rested um and that camp essentially is just there to facilitate their last their final preparations into the games and then this time around, we will travel then into the games, um, the games village in Tokyo, which is only a 40 minute journey away from our uh, pre-games camp venue. So really, you're just ensuring that everything is in place for them to be able to relax and focus on what they need to focus on themselves. OK. And then in terms of the, the athlete themselves, you mentioned that medical and nutrition support and all these different things. Can you maybe give a bit more detail about what sort of support um, and maybe because it's a very, very high performance field. So maybe mm. some of the listeners might be interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So um, in my, my my current role, other than Paralympics Ireland within my Taekwondo realm, let's say I do something similar. So a lot of it is coordination of those sports science and medical supports. Um, in terms of Paralymp the Paralympics role, uh, we do have for the two sports that we govern directly is para-athletics and para-swimming. Now, there are two leads in those sports who operationally manage everything around the athletes. So in terms of offering those kind of sports science and med support, they pitch to myself and the performance director, Dave Malone, um, what it is their athletes need, what is prioritised for those athletes. And then we come back and say, OK, well, this is what we can essentially you know barter for or 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 cost out for the athletes so in some cases um nutrition might be a, a high priority on the list for some athletes then it could be psychology for another it really does depend on the athlete what their needs are and i think we actually do that quite well in paralympics ireland um it's certain we have a very very robust performance planning process where nothing no stone is left unturned in terms of what the athlete needs and so if there are any ever any red flag is issues that come up uh, generally speaking there's not that many but usually in terms of um, emergencies or red flags we don't have that many around our athletes because the performance planning process is so robust so in terms of that what that looks like would be athlete athlete profiles would come into us their year uh, is planned in advance and 
to the last millisecond of what that looks like is planned out in detail. So, you know, if if we need uh, young Nicole Turner to go 0.2 seconds faster uh, in her 50 meter fly, 50 meter fly, then that is all planned out, and it's planned out right from the Paralympic Games right back to now. Um, so let's say we would have our performance psychologist Stephen MacGyver. Um, he is contracted by our performance team here, and he works with our with our carded athletes. Um, he offers performance support, performance goal setting. Um, in particular, he specialises in mental toughness, which is what he did his PhD in. He comes from a rugby background, so he has both individual athletic experience and team athletic experience. Uh, he, was a, he was a top athlete himself in terms of having been capped for Ireland on numerous occasions. Um, so yeah, we, like a lot, with a lot of those services, we do make a concerted effort to get the best providers in to work with those athletes. Um, and I think in an Irish setting, you're almost guaranteed to have somebody in those roles that has a previous athletic career and subsequently a coaching career. Not all the time, but in general, it just seem, seems to be kind of set up that way in this country. Um, a lot of people stay in the business, let's say, from having been an athlete to a coach to a professional in that space because they know the sports. It sounds like a very athlete-centred approach. Do you think that's maybe a reason why? Because the people that are, are helping to deliver it are, have been athletes themselves? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I think actually that's probably a, a massive... Uh, it's a massive um, kind of gold star on, on, on Ireland's part, let's say, uh, within the athletic community and within the coaching community as well. So um, I believe as a coach, what you expect from your athletes, you should expect from yourself. Um, and it's certainly an Irish thing where there's so much effort put into our athletes, the health and well-being of our athletes. Sometimes uh, the coaches are coming from the right place because they've been there themselves and they can apply their learnings. And I think that's what we do really well here in the Irish coaching community. Um, and in terms of coaches backing themselves as well, I think in this country, we we probably don't do it enough. I think we've got to believe in ourselves a, a little bit more. If we look at the major successes that we've had this year, particularly in sport, in team sports and individual sports, um, I think we should be proud and give ourselves a pat on the back. Um, I think we're we're hitting international standards that we shouldn't really be hitting we're, we're punching well above our weight uh, and the professionalism of the coaching community here is second to none you mentioned your own sporting career in terms of your taekwondo background um now i'm hoping i got this right from my research but a uh, fifth degree master in taekwondo which is as the, i think you're the highest ranking female in ireland is that right and former World Taekwondo Federation is a champion or sorry I'm getting the wrong one one is Olympic and one is not Olympic is that right you're right okay so just to explain it there are uh, there is an Olympic pathway style of Taekwondo and there's a non-Olympic pathway style of Taekwondo so the World Taekwondo formerly known as World Taekwondo Federation is the Olympic pathway organization it's now being rebranded as just World Taekwondo so that's the pathway I've always come through. Um, originally, when I first started in the sport, I came through the other stream of, it's called the International Taekwondo Federation. Uh, the club I joined originally when I was 13, uh, Clondalkin-based Taekwondo club. It was originally an ITF uh, club. Subsequently, 
after a couple of years saw the Olympic pathway opportunities for some athletes and uh, the club transferred over into the world taekwondo uh, pathway let's say so all of my all of the all of your gradings all of your black belt gradings are all recognized by the Olympic pathway um, association the highest uh, graded female in world taekwondo as it stands in Ireland um Potentially Ireland and the UK, but I need to check that one out. There might be a fight to sort that one out. <laughs> might, yeah, well, <laughs> watch this space. Um, due to go for my sixth Dan next year. So how it works is that, the, is that you go for your, your, your black belt rating and then you go for your second Dan, your third third Dan in line with what you did previously. So you you wait one year, you go for your second Dan. You wait two years, you go for your third Dan. Three years, go for your fourth Dan. So I'm due to go for my sixth Dan next year. Um, but a lot of that, a lot of that is determined by how involved you are as a coach, as an instructor, and how much you give back to the sport. So currently, there is nobody high enough, highly graded enough to grade me. So I would have to travel away. Okay. Um, yeah, but in terms of my athletic career, so I started at the age of thirteen, uh, and pretty much from day one, I was uh, hooked to the sport, if you want to put it that way. Uh, took to it very, very quickly. It came very naturally to me. Um, but also what did come very naturally and I think this is probably just um, an internal trait was the coaching side of the sport as well so I would have had a coach that always encouraged the the students in the club to coach from a very early age and just to give back just to help out other students that are coming up so if you had a particular stronger area he would always encourage you go off and do a little bit on the sides during the class and that was always part of your of your training session was to go off and work with some of the other younger um, athletes. So I think it, over time it just built up. So essentially, really, I've been coaching probably 17 years now at this stage. Um, I won't tell you my age, but... <laughs> um, so essentially the, the, your coaching has grown along with your your coaching journey has gone like parallel to your actual athletic journey as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. would you find that has that helped your coaching be as as in growing alongside it or has being a coach helped you as an athlete i think both um I, you know one doesn't work in, in isolation from the other so probably um probably i would say my coaching in in tandem with my athletic career has helped my coaching more than it has my athletic career um i suppose I've been fortunate enough to have access to elite a- elite athletes as a coach over the years that I've been able to develop as a better coach. Um, in terms of my own athletic career, I never really did get to where I wanted to go as an athlete and that's for a multitude of, of reasons. Um, and I think I naturally sided with the fact that, I, and I naturally kind of uh, came to the conclusion with the fact that I was a better coach than I was an athlete. So that's the avenue that I decided to take. You know, I always had aspirations to qualify for the Olympic Games. Um, it never happened uh, for a multitude of, per- of reasons as well. But I certainly don't hold that uh, against anybody or against myself. I think I've I've always tried to use that firepower in my coaching career and transferred those skills that I've learned over the years into my coaching career. Okay, and the... I'm very curious. Um, my own coaching background is 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 in a lot of team sports and stuff like that. I'm very curious. Obviously, you're coaching many individuals, but it's an individual sport. Whereas you may be coaching ten or twenty people. How does that dynamics work? Is that do you have to change your style for different people? Do you have to try and treat everyone the same, or how do you go about that? I have more experience in coaching individual athletes in individual sports. 
where I do have experience in within the likes of the GAA um, in coaching teams they are very different dynamics and you do have to I believe you do have to tailor sometimes your um, your coaching behaviours towards certain athletes sometimes not all the time I think if you're uh, like the basics for me is that consistency is key here so if you're consistent across all of your coaching platforms then you'll get your message and the type of culture that you're trying to create around your team so ultimately yeah it's an individual sport but you're still treating it as a team sport because there's many personalities involved and I don't think it's a good idea if I was to advise younger coaches coming into the business I don't think it's a good idea to treat people too differently because then that just sends out mixed messages as to who you are or what you're trying to achieve as a coach um, so I work I do a lot of work with uh, swimmers at the moment um, in an S&C capacity as well as uh, being a technical coach in, in Taekwondo as well so a lot of my experience outside of Taekwondo is S&C coaching rather than a sports specific coaching um, I am trying to and like you know I think it's very important for coaches to expand their skill set within different sports and challenge themselves in different sports even if it's only for a short period of, tra- of time because you the, the amount that you learn from those other sports and the cultures of those other sports you can take back and even if you don't agree with it you'll still learn that okay I won't do that the next time um, so the differences I think between dealing with a team and individuals to be honest there's not really many differences other than if you were dealing with them on a on a technical level a sports specific level uh, it's just more personal goals orientated to that person rather than a team so if a team is trying to achieve one goal then it's everybody together if an individual is trying to achieve one goal like qualifying for the Olympic Games or medal at the Olympic Games then your goals are tailored for that person and that person only so it is quite singularly focused um, and I'm in a bit of a kind of a unique position at the moment where myself and um, the head coach the 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 PD of Taekwondo Ireland uh, were actually the home coaches of a particular athlete who will likely qualify for the Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020. Um, but he is the only one of that standard in the country. So we're only dealing with one athlete at the moment. But we're also dealing on a club basis with other athletes who train with this guy. Uh, so you do treat it as a team environment as well. Um, and then sometimes you got to just pander sometimes to those elite athletes as well as to you know their demands sometimes you know and that's that's okay that's a that's one big learning I've taken away myself is that you get them to do the the core work that you want them to do and if they want to do something else on top of that after they've done what you've asked them to do just let them do it you know it's there's 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 no harm I think in doing that it's it's kind of like in the in the strength and conditioning world where you have uh, a few athletes or a team in a gym and you know the fundamentals have to be covered but some of them might come back and say but I want to do this and you know for their either if it's ego or personality or making them feel psychological effects they want to do the little cherry on top dessert piece as we call it after their structured session then you let them go and do it once it's not going to damage anything outside of their um, abilities let's say. So yeah I think I think consistency is key when dealing with either individual athletes or team athletes um, the dynamics I suppose can be quite tricky with team sports um, because I didn't grow up in that environment myself 
Uh, I've done a lot of learning around the dynamics and dealing with individuals within a team setting. Whereas on the flip side, when you're dealing with individual athletes, throwing them into a, a team scenario, um, but you're still dealing with the individuals as in a team scenario. So it's it's you know they're not they're not very dissimilar. I don't think. Okay. Um, I think your there's, inconsistency there is key. There's a couple of things you brought up there that I want to I want to touch on if that's yeah, okay. Uh, sure. The first one is you mentioned you're you're dealing with the elite athlete and also a lot of other people that may be in the in the same training session or class or whatever it may be. I think that's one of the biggest challenges coaches have being able to cater for the strongest, the weakest, and everyone in the middle. Mm. Can you maybe give some insight as how you try and do that? It's something that's probably caused um, a lot of ambiguity between the coaching staff. So to give you some background, myself and Robert Taff, who is the head coach of South Dublin Taekwondo, which is the the club that I co-found with Robert um, back in 2008. So we're 10 years old this year. Um we originally recruited a lot of a lot of um, family orientated uh, kids, teenagers, all ages into the club. Now we're, we're the the fastest growing club in the country. We're also the largest club in the country as it stands. But notwithstanding that, the complexities around dealing with children um, or teenagers that may have checkered backgrounds in some cases, and then you're dealing with others who have come from maybe some privileged backgrounds. Um, and then the separation begins at a teenage age, teenage years where some of them want to specialise in the sport or they may want to specialise in other sports and they end up leaving that sport. But in terms of dealing with uh, the club as a whole, I think you have to be very, very clear as to what your mission is as a club. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's uh, NASA uh, or your own club back at home in you know the hills of Tala. It's, it's what is your mission? What are you doing here? what culture do you want to set and then people buy into that and if you don't like it that's tough luck so that's the approach that we take we certainly have catered we do cater for a lot of younger children that just want to participate and that's what we're there for as well we have other coaching staff that deal with tots right up to young teenage years that just want to go and you know participate keep fit get their black belt um, some of them are lifers so you're actually kind of almost growing along with these guys as a coach in tandem with their lives you know you go through life journeys with some of them and some of them will bring big issues to your table and you just gotta like like I'm a big believer in dealing with the, the person behind the athlete and it doesn't matter whether an elite, an elite athlete or uh, just participating for sport purposes um, getting to know your environment is, is key there so the more you understand who you're dealing with I think the more understanding they'll have for what you're trying to achieve and then they can make their own decision as to whether they want to participate or not in that environment. So in terms of the elite athletes in the in the club, they get a lot of support elsewhere other than us. I think one key thing to learn and to take away is that you can't do everything. You know, you're not a magician. If somebody outgrows what you're capable of coaching, then you have to let them step away and be supported elsewhere. And I found that in my own athletic career, that's, that was a big takeaway for me. My coach at the time, um, Brandon Ryan, he's a, he was a fantastic coach um, and I, I probably owe a lot of my coaching practices to him. Um, he was always an advocate for, well, if, if you've gotten to a certain level and you need extra support, go get it and I'll support you in that. And offering that support then is, is what the, the person sees behind it all. Um, and then again, back to consistency. You know, if you're consistent in that message, people will have a lot more respect for you then. 
Yeah, well, you basically answered the second point that I was going to bring up in terms of culture. You mentioned it a couple of times, but it sounds like it's something that's really, really important to you in terms of your club and also in terms of your your professional role. Both professionally and volunteer, let's say, if you want to call it that, in a volunteer coaching um, position, I think culture sets the tone for everything. Um, And what that culture looks like grows over many many years so I think we're only really coming into our own as a club now in South Dublin in terms of the culture that we've set and yet we're in year 10 now we're still evolving we're still learning we're uh, setting up our own full-time premises now actually this week the keys were handed over so um and it's but it's 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 taken 10 years to get there and it could have taken a lot more the culture piece and in terms of bringing it back to uh working with swimming team working with GAA working with uh other athletes within other martial arts and boxing as well. Um, I've seen different cultures and things done differently. And if it's a case that an athlete or a kid, a teenager, an adult walks into a club and clearly experiences the culture and the way we do things around here, that's the caption header for me, is the way we do things around here. Well, then that person can go away and make their own decision and whether they want to be involved in that or not. From all those different experiences and seeing all those different cultures, do you then based on your own philosophy, pick and choose what you think fits for you? And, and, and is that the, how you try and define the culture, let's say, for, for the club that you're, that you're coaching? I think my own culture piece in tandem with um, the, the, Robert, who is the, the head coach of the club, I think we've evolved our cult, coaching culture and that comes from your coaching philosophy. So, and they both come in tandem with each other, really. But uh, we would coach very, very differently. Myself and Rob have had many blow-ups on, on our coaching traits and our coaching behaviours more so. Um, and we happen to be partners in life as well outside of that. So that can add complexities to life <laughs> in general. But, you know, it's it's important to keep, you know, emotion aside from this. If you want to be professional in a coaching setting, I think establishing your coaching, coaching philosophy, which will change over many years, and I'm still trying to figure out what my own philosophy is. Um, I suppose while we're on coaching philosophy, like I think the things that underpin my own coaching philosophy would be guiding and and ensuring the well-being and ultimately the success of an athlete in their career and understanding fully the the person behind the athlete the person comes first and then the athlete comes second you know it's not um life or death if you don't qualify for the olympic games and i know that's people's lives you're talking about but get the person sorted first get your life sorted first and then look at being an athlete and some some and i refer to them as kids because in their athletic career all they want is that end goal and you got to reel them back sometimes and just sit them down and work back from that. So I think um, in terms of the philosophy around, particularly around coaching younger athletes and younger teenagers are so hungry to do well and they're so hungry for success. But, you know, that success can't be dry, driven by the end goal and the medal at the end of it. The success has to be driven by your character and, you know, ultimately what drives you and what drives that character will determine what the end goal will will be essentially um so i always try and instill that in in the athletes understand yourself as a person first first and foremost and then we can work together in establishing what the athlete part of it looks like so i think because it's more complex people's lives take over things on a daily basis um i've been through a lot of um things let's say scenarios where kids have come up to me and, 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 and told me awful stories about home life and not that not that you don't want to help them but there are, there are times where 
you try and guide them in life uh, but then you got to try and guide them in a coaching capacity as well um, and your coaching cap sometimes has to come on and tell them stop okay let's go in let's do our session today and then we'll revisit that later on um, so you know the guidance piece has always been one a never learning thing for me uh, I haven't always gotten it right it's confused me sometimes more than it's confused <laughs> the, the, the athlete um, and I'm still trying to figure that one out as well myself but I you know the challenge there is I think or the main the main goal really I think the, mo- the most important thing is is to understand fully the person that you're dealing with and not just because you're involved in a sport and in understanding the sport understand the person first that's I think that's absolutely a key message that any coaches listening do thinking about a lot of people just get caught up with performance particularly with children's teams or or, or child athletes and stuff and I think that if anything from the show if they can take that mm. away that's massive mm. um I just want to bring you back. You said you only took up taekwondo at 13. Yeah. Were you sporty beforehand or was it just you just decided to come into it late? Yeah, I, I was always entrenched in sports in some shape or form. Um, yeah, so I started out actually uh, in basketball, in a team sport, okay. surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I joined basketball. I tried swimming at the beginning, swimming lessons. I can't swim. I still can't swim and I don't think I don't know if I'll ever learn to swim but uh, that didn't work out didn't like it turned to basketball um, enjoyed it for a few years played played college basketball uh, school and college basketball during that time in in secondary school I started athletics and actually was you know figured out that okay I'm actually quite athletic here you know like what what could be in this for me so it was never a drive that I wanted to qualify for the Olympic Games in whatever sports that I just took up but I just kind of realized over uh, a short period of time I think from the time of sixth class in school um, up to third year in secondary school that I was actually quite good at sport um, and when I turned my hand to any kind of sport I was actually quite good at it regardless of whether I could pick up the swimming skills or not um, and then at 13 years of age I was still doing the athletics but I took up taekwondo um, and the main reason for that was my father was um, a martial artist himself he was heavily involved in boxing as a teenager um, and then he turned his hand to martial arts as well um, and he, you know he's one of those people that just has a kind of a fighter's instinct in him and I think that was probably genetically passed down to myself there's five siblings in the family and I'm the only one that got those uh, fighter instinct genes but um, and I didn't know I had them until I joined the martial arts but I suppose those kind of um, performance instincts uh, and, and that drive, that fire in your belly to succeed in something comes from, you know, it's, it's a genetic thing as well as it, c- it can be learnt over time. So uh, I started in the sport of Taekwondo at 13 in my local school. Um, as I said, I took to it straight away, really, really enjoyed it. Said, OK, right, I'm actually really good at this. Stuck to it and I haven't looked back since. Um, trained six days a week for about 10 years competed at quite a high level um coached by a few different people in my time so as I said when I joined the club originally in Clondalkin it was um master Brendan Ryan um and then the, the coaching kind of automatically transferred over to the national team coaches at the time because I was on the national team competing international he was always still my home coach but there was always that kind of transfer of okay well you're competing for the national team then the then the national coach takes over um and then through time my partner Robert who is the the PD of of Taekwondo Ireland now um we actually 
like we trained quite a lot together um, and we coached each other quite a lot through through competing internationally ourselves. So we both we were both fighters um, and we were both we both also competed in the uh, technical end of the sport, which is, I suppose, in, in some terms, people might understand it as kata. It's forms. It's it's more of a performance on your own on the mat. You perform your form, you fall off you get your points towards and you see where you come at the end of the day. That was always just a kind of an additional piece. Now that is a technical area where you have to know these forms up to a certain grade if you want to go for your next grading. So everybody has to know these forms, but there is a competition element to it, but it's not part of the Olympic program as of yet. So the the, the sparring element to it for me, um, it was always, it was just always in me. Um, I was just always a, a natural kind of a fighter, always wanted to get stuck in when you get in the ring the fighter's head just switches on um yeah and it's 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 i suppose that you know it's just something that i just took to straight away really really enjoyed it and i i dropped all other sports after i started after i competed in my first competition out in swords i dropped all other sports and that was just my only focus then yeah i think it's really interesting the fact you did so many different sports and then actually specialized as you got older yeah and uh, i think that's a good message as well to go home and i'd uh uh, if you're the only one of five who took up the martial arts, I, I'd hate to be in that house around <laughs> when there was a bit of a row going on. Um, look, I, you've been brilliant with your time. Um, we've two or three questions that we ask everyone that comes on the show. So the first one is, what's the term successful coach mean to you? You follow your values and what you consider as important as a coach for your team or for your athletes. Then, And you don't break your own values. You don't break your own rule set. Um, and you're consistent in your message uh, towards your athletes and your teams. I think you can't. I think success comes on the back of that. I think it's a big mistake that a lot of younger coaches make is that they try and f- look for the success first, and then try and fill in the gaps in between. Um, I, I don't think anybody could ever be a successful coach with a team if that's your outlook. So yeah, uh, you know, consistency, transparency, loyalty, and then ultimately you'll gain the respect, and the success will come. After that. That's a really, really good attitude. I think people can take a lot from. Um, the best book or resource that you'd recommend to aspiring coaches out there? Your athlete. Hand down. Your, your athlete is your main resource. If you don't talk to your athlete, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. You have to fully understand their skill set, their limitations, their abilities, and their thinking and their philosophy around why they're involved in that sport. And I'm talking at the elite end here. Like... Um, I've, I've so many times made a big mistake in trying to go full launch into trying to solve people's problems, particularly around the, in, in the SNC world, because I'm still relatively young in that uh, piece. Um, sitting down with your athletes and fully understanding they're your main resource. You can read all the, the, the books in the world you want, but some learnings that I've got from other SNC coaches as well is that the science underpins what you're doing. And the last question what would your top tips for a developing coach be? I think first and foremost, understanding why you want to be involved as a coach and uh, understanding yourself as a coach first before you try and sell yourself as a coach, if that's your goal. If your goal is to go in um, as a technical coach or as an SNC coach or, you know, whatever it might be, understanding why you're there in the first place um, and having the the intellect and know-how and the reading behind it is so important but understanding I think reflective practice is so important and I also feel yeah being able to take criticism for yourself so knowing why you're there and knowing that you're able to take criticism and criticize yourself and reflect 
um, because that will allow you to grow as a coach. Uh, like I've seen a lot of times where younger coaches, you know, they go in and they think, you know, and I've done it myself, you know it all. Don't worry, I'm going to fix all your problems. And you get into the gym and athletes will sniff you out straight away. You know, they don't take any bull from anybody when they're serious and professional about their, their sporting career. And that's their life. They're, that's their career on the line. They're relying on you to guide them in that process, whatever stage that they're at in their career. Niamh, it's been fantastic having you on. Uh, there's so many different things that people can take from from the episode. Uh, I really, really was interested in, in terms of your coaching philosophy and how you, you're still evolving in that. I think that's a really key message. Um, the coaching the person is is massive and it's something that keeps coming up with, with everyone we have in and it's fantastic to hear. And I think you're right that Ireland do just give themselves a pat on the mm. back because I think we are doing well in terms of the coaching. Yeah. And I'm really, really interested in the, in the fact that when you're saying that we as coaches, we can't do everything. Because I think, and I'd fall into that trap myself, I think that that is something that we need to get the message out there. You can't do everything, but all you can do is do your best. So listen, it's been fantastic having you on. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Bubble. I hope you learned something that can help your own coaching in some way. Anything referenced on the show, like books or podcasts, if you follow our Twitter page, at Bubble Coaching, we'll put everything up there. You can find us on SoundCloud. We'd love some feedback, so feel free to leave a comment or a review. Once again, the show is brought to you by the Coach Education and Development Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening. Till next time.